0: Welcome to 2D, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co host is Robbie Dowling. We are pumped. It is finally game week, Robbie. We are just days away from some Hokie football.
1: We had the Friday night game in Australia, so <laughs> yes, we are a little ways from Hokie football, but we technically have already had some football.
0: Yeah, it was it was something, and I thought uh, you know Cal was going to cover it there for a minute with the 20-point spread. Um, but yeah, it was fun to watch that game. I'm ready for all the games this weekend, and especially our game against Liberty. We're going to jump into that shortly. Before that, we're going to get on the line with Jonathan French uh, coming up a little bit later in the podcast, and we're going to go through some X's and O's, and I'm excited. We haven't had French on the podcast, but... We both uh, consider him a friend. Spent a little time with him at the bar, and he's always good people and and knows his and knows his stuff when it comes to to football. So that's coming up a little bit later. But before we get started, Robbie,
1: as always, give us a cheers. Cheers to football being back! It's been a super long off season. We've already seen a little bit with the Cal game down in Australia. I thought that they were going to pull that out as well, <laughs> and. I'm really excited about the season. I don't know what it holds. I have no clue what's going to end up happening with this team. I don't think many of us do to the positive or to the negative. So with that, let's just cheers it to college football being back. I'm super excited about it, and I know you are as well. Also to everybody that gave us a review on iTunes, I have a whole bunch of beer cozies that are sitting next to me that hopefully will be going in the mail tomorrow morning, so that people can get them in time for the game. That's my my hope. Awesome, man. Cheers.
0: All right. Let's do our news and notes. First and foremost, Gerard Evans was named the starter pretty soon after we released our season preview podcast, in which we – Said we wouldn't be surprised at all if he was named the starter based on the recruiting history of him, and he was. Now, he was only named the starter for Liberty as it stands. Uh, And I guess things can change, but with the way that VT Football put out a picture of him saying Gerard Evans, starting quarterback, and he's doing the Cam Newton Superman look, it certainly seems as if he's our season-long starting quarterback. But I'm sure other guys will play, especially in a game like Liberty where we might end up with a lead.
1: I think we're going to see multiple... Quarterbacks in that game. Maybe they take him out after the first half. I'm not sure how it's going to end up playing or if they're going to swap him in intermittently. I'd imagine that we're going to see a couple quarterbacks. But you and I had alluded to a few times that there was a little bit of shakeup with Josh Jackson and the announcement that Fuente made there. But at the end of the day, I think we both came back to it being Gerard Evans. So not a huge surprise there. Although there was a little bit of a shakeup there that, uh, had us all a bit nervous. Yeah.
0: Everyone was in a tizzy for a few days there. Uh, next news and note was the fact that they announced a player will wear the number 25 Jersey each week, a different special teams player. Who's I guess, earned it during that week of practice. I thought this was a really cool thing. It's going to honor Frank Beamer. As everyone knows, he wore the number 25 and, um, it's awesome. And Sam Rogers said, you know, he would he would do his best to to wear it as many times as he can. And uh it's a it's a very cool and unique honor, I think, for Coach Beamer, someone who did so much for tech.
1: It ties back to what Fuente has said a lot during interviews in the off season. He actually hasn't said a whole lot, but one thing he's always been uh, I guess the best way to put it is consistent with is they want to you know respect what Beamer built, but then also build upon the future. So it's a nice little shout out to Beamer. And I think he's probably, he, there was a news announcement, I think a little, um, a quote from Beamer that was saying that he thought it was, it was a really nice gesture on behalf of the team.
0: You mentioned the reviews that we got last week, and I felt like I wanted to put it in our initial no- news and notes items only because, we were blown away by the number of reviews we received. Uh, we have kind of asked for iTunes reviews. Uh, every podcast at the end will ask, you know, give us a review, this and that. We decided to move it up, and you had the idea of sending people koozies for writing those reviews, as you just mentioned. And uh turns out people will do anything for free stuff. Uh, and we got a ton of iTunes reviews, uh, about quadruple the number we had prior. So.
1: All of a sudden, it shot through the roof, and one day I woke up, and we had 16 reviews. We had three previous to that, (laughs) which is incredible, and we know that's not the reason that everybody was doing it. It may have added a little bit of a benefit we really appreciate it. Appreciate you going out there and reviewing us. It's really important that we get the feedback, both the positive and the negative. It helps us improve. We want the podcast to be awesome. And that's the only way that we're going to be able to do it is to get people's feedback on it.
0: Yeah. There were a lot of kind words in the reviews. And um, like you just said, we appreciate, appreciate all of uh, anyone who will put up with us and listen to our, to our rants, opinions, and, amateur hour voices. The last item I wanted to talk about was the initial depth chart being released. We already mentioned Evans was the starter at QB and there was a number of other kind of interesting things in there, including Wyatt Teller being the number two left guard. Uh, you know, obviously Adonis Alexander wasn't on the depth chart and Hushan Gaines wasn't either because of the suspensions but there were some other interesting things. There was no H-back position listed, which I'm not sure I expected to see it, but I did kind of expect Steven Peebles to pop up somewhere in the depth chart. Uh, Hodges, Bucky Hodges, being listed as a wide receiver. That's kind of... Um, so I think I heard someone put it as the worst kept secret, secret with regard to, to Tech's offense. He's essentially a wide receiver now. He's not really a tight end at all, and this depth chart says as much. And then... Mook Reynolds being listed as the whip was the last thing I saw. Uh, he's obviously, Bud believes that he's versatile enough to play both, you know, strong enough to play a whip linebacker position, but also quick enough and better in coverage enough to play nickel corner. And so if that's the case, then he's going to be on the field a lot of the time, as opposed to Anthony Chagog, the backup who's better suited as a whip linebacker.
1: Those are generally what I picked out. Confirmation that Mahota is going to be opposite to Canum at defensive end. Not a huge surprise on that front. I thought the wide uh too deep was pretty wide receiver too deep was pretty interesting with Bradshaw, Carroll, and Diablo in the second string spots we know Fuente is probably going to want to play even more than six. So that'll get shaken up pretty, pretty heavily and probably even more so after the first couple games of the season, once he sees how people are producing on the field and then Stroman, I don't know, maybe it was just in my mind. He got both the kick return and the punt return duties. I thought green might get a look at kick returns. He had a couple nice, uh, nice runs last year on kick returns and, uh, at the end of the day it ended up being it ended up being stroman for both of those but we'll see what happens well
0: you know stroman's listed first as kick return but there's always two guys back there so they're both gonna be so it's a with kick returns they're essentially both starters you should really have like four names on here i i I don't know but anyway
1: they should just take the bold off of the depth (laughs) chart for kick returner exactly yeah you're right
0: um we're going to loop back to the Teller thing a little bit later. We have our suspicions on t- as to why that is, um, why he was listed as number two, because as most Hokie fans believe, and we do too, he's probably our best offensive lineman, especially when it comes to run blocking. But just overall in general, he's a monster. So him being behind Colt Pettit, a guy we've never seen play, is pretty shocking. And we'll ask French about it. I'm not sure how much uh, he wants to wants to talk about it or not, but I have my suspicions that there's some kind of disciplinary action. Fuente just put it as, Colt's been better. Now, if that's the case, then we have two incredible left guards. But if that was the case, why wouldn't Teller move over to right guard and replace Conti, a guy who is very good and a senior, but isn't the most perfect offensive lineman in the world? So th- there's something going on
1: there. I agree. I uh... agree. I can't really pine any more than that. I don't think we'll ever find out. It is suspicious that the same type of thing was happening last year. And that that's a little bit interesting in its own right. But I don't want to speculate on it. I think whoever's good, whoever can play, whoever's keeping their nose clean should be out there. All right. I'm going to tell you what I'm drinking before we
0: give French a call. Um, that way I can dial in while you're talking about your beer. It's funny because we just got a review about the pod. And someone said at the end of their review, they said, we just need to get these guys some North Carolina beer. And I had already purchased the beer for this episode prior to seeing that review. And when I opened up my fridge to get it out today, I realized it was Oscar Blues, which is a North Carolina beer. And I am drinking... The Oscar Blues Brewery, just their straight-up IPA. Uh, It's from Brevard, North Carolina, and it's in a blue can, and it just says IPA in three very large letters. Oscar Blues uh, has been around for a while. Uh, They make some good beer, and I don't think I've had their IPA. I think I've had several of their other ones, particularly when visiting friends in Charlotte and stuff. But this is a straight-up-and-down, delicious IPA. 6.43% 6.43% alcohol, and I really like it. The Oscar Blues IPA.
1: We've been down on the last few beers on the show, so I find it surprising that we're going to kick this off, both enjoying the beer that we're having, at least more than, than some of them we've had on here. I went with the Clown Shoes Beer Galactica IPA. It's an 8% percenter. I was rushing back to make the podcast and picked it up, so I don't think we've had it on the show. I'm almost quite certain that we haven't, and it's great. I I really enjoy it. Clown Shoes, I've seen their beer a bunch, and I've never really drank much of it, and the first one that I pick up is the Galactica, and it's excellent. It's out of Ipswich, uh, Massachusetts. Fantastic, and I would recommend it to anyone. I'll definitely be getting this one again. Nice,
0: yeah. That is a change because I feel like either one or both of us has been down lately on a bunch of our beers. So that's that's good. All right. I'm going to give French a call. We are now welcoming in Jonathan French of The Key Play. If you've ever been on the website, you have to be familiar with his work. He is their number one X's and O's guy. And French, we are so happy to have you on the podcast finally.
2: Thanks. Thanks for having me on.
0: All right. I want to get your thoughts first and foremost on the depth chart for Liberty. And I'm not sure how much you want to say, how little you want to say about it, but we got to talk about left guard. Why, why is Wyatt Teller number two? And do you think that it's because Pettit is just that good? Or do you think Teller is um, getting mixed up in some stuff?
2: Well, I don't want to speculate to anything going off on, off the field. I, I say on the side a lot that if, you know, there's on the field or off the field stuff going on, it's none of our business and hope for hopefully the kid works it out. I, I and I mean no disrespect to Colt Pettit. I think he'd be a you know very very serviceable football player. But I've said since Wyatt Teller was a junior in high school and it was a long shot for Virginia Tech to recruit him successfully that he was going to be an all-world caliber offensive lineman. He has unique talents that nobody else on the football team, including other starters, can bring to the table, Um, footwork, his ability to create movement, his ability to get out in space and block. He's a unique animal. Um, Unfortunately, this just has been a pattern. Uh, You can speculate for all the reasons, but uh, he didn't get on the field much as a redshirt freshman, even though. If you go back and you watch the film of those games, he's likely an upgrade over some of the guys on the interior, like David Wang or or Augie Conti or uh, Caleb Ferris. Um, you know, last season I believe he he didn't start against NC State, uh, if I remember correctly. Kyle Shun started against NC State. You are correct. And periodically, the entire time he's been at Virginia Tech, there have been these these little streaks of time where he's running with the twos and. Uh, you know, you can speculate. Perhaps he's not the best practice player, and, and Justin Fuente is trying to establish a culture. That's really not fair to the kid. But it's hard to draw any other conclusion because, again, Wyatt Teller is such a special player. I know some of the recruiting services. I'm sorry, some of the college football you know, prognosticators have listed him as, you know, the best run blocking guard in the country. And you just you just don 't replace that so easily, so i 'm not sure what 's going on. I really hope Colt Pettit is fantastic against liberty, uh, but I would expect that if uh, if Wyatt complies with all the things that the coach wants him to and and is a right right and sound uh, mind and body he 'll be the starter long term this season
0: yeah i I've long said that once the the chips are down and we 're facing Tennessee or any of our ACC foes, Wyatt Teller is going to be starting at at left guard. And if he's not starting, he'll be in, you know, in a series or two or something like that. Um, And it's probably just a minor disciplinary thing or something. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, at the end, at the end of the day, you want to end up with the best players on the field and, you know, hope, hope things that go well and we can get them out there. That's probably where it's going to end up. Assuming that, you know, French, you know how well he plays. That kind of talent is tough tough to keep off the field. So I would imagine in a few weeks' time, assuming all goes well, that we're going to see him out there.
2: Well, I'll play devil's advocate, though. One thing, you know, there's a culture change that was needed in Blacksburg. I, I don't know the depths of it. I've always said that I'm an outsider looking at the tape and the history and saying here's what we can surmise based on the tape and the history. But they, there was, you know, some some talk about there being some complacency. And Fuente has come in with a mandate to change the culture. Now, it's hard for a lot of us to absorb it. It doesn't happen often, you know, much much these days. But there are plenty of instances where a football coach has come in and in order to, you know, make his stamp that it's going to be my way or the highway, uh, that they've threatened to bench and then have benched really talented players. So, if it's this is a situation where you've got a guy who's supremely talented, but he's not doing what is expected of everybody else on the team, there are you know plenty of historical occurrences where that's happened. Uh, you know, I kind of laugh at the story that John Wooden once told about Bill Walton. Bill Walton came off one of the greatest seasons in college basketball history, undefeated, national player of the year, came into their camp the next year, and his hair was a little bald and uh, Coach Wooden told him, go get your haircut. He said, well, Coach, I just had a great year. Why don't you let me have it a little longer? He said, well, you, that's your choice. We'll miss having you this year. And Walton went and got a haircut. <laughs> those those things happen. Uh, they just don't happen as often because coaches tend to hand to the kids more. But, again, Fuente has a mandate, and he has a history of, you know, if he makes a decision about a player and – he's going to stick with that decision for the long term health of the program over the short term potential gains of of having the best guy in the field. So don't this not this may not
1: necessarily
2: go away. I think it's much more likely if for whatever reason Teller doesn't uh work out whatever this is that's causing him to be on second team, I would probably expect to see Parker Osterlo move inside. Before I would see Colt Pettit start against uh, Tennessee, Uh, Osterloh was legitimately pushing Teller and Conti last year. We know he has, uh, he's really impressed his coaching staff. I I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to see Osterloh move inside if whatever is going on with Teller isn't resolved.
0: Yeah, that's a good point on Osterloh. He definitely was making good strides in both spring and fall camp and was getting some first team reps at right guard and right tackle. So, Having him as a backup across the line, he can play basically four positions. That's hugely valuable. Instead of the meta stuff we've kind of been stewing on, let's let's get into some of the actual X's and O's. And You wrote three different columns over the past, I guess, month or so on the key play. Uh, one about the H-back and the running game and Fuente's offense. Uh, one about the zone coverage that we may or may not be running this year with the DBs. And the last one which you put out today, which was about Mahota and his play on the D-line and and how it works with Nigel Williams and Kenne Canham and so on and so forth. I wanted to start on offense since that's what we're all kind of curious about. And I was saying on our season preview that this year for Tech and under Fuente, even though Paxton Lynch passed the ball a ton last year, that we're going to be a run-first team based on our offensive line, based on our talent and where their strengths are at and basically where gerard evans is at and him throwing the football and with what you had to say about the h-back and how that affects the running game i was kind of surprised to not see it on the depth chart based on what i thought um how do you feel that how often do you feel that the h-back will be on the field will it be steven people as most of us expect and will we be a run first team
2: well, that there are a ton of questions there. Yeah, I'm um, sorry. I kind of overloaded I, I, you a bit. I, I would say they are going to be a run-first team if you consider the screen game and run-pass options as a key part of how you define the running game. Um, Memphis rotated multiple backs. Uh, the backs, for the most part, were averaging four to four-and-a-half yards per carry, and their offensive line wasn't exactly blowing people up. Generally, when you saw a big play in the running game, it – was a byproduct of how the entire offensive system forces a defense to account for every single possible avenue for the football. With one formation, one motion, it could potentially be 25 different plays. Actually, earlier this summer I wrote a column on that where there was one formation with the shotgun, the uh, tailback to the quarterback's right side, the H-back right in front of them, another running back in the slot to his left who would jet sweep motion across. And from that look, which looked the same right up until the moment where the quarterback has the ball in his hands after the snap, everything that looked identical. And I could identify 25 different running plays, four or five that hit the inside, four or five that would hit the strong side, either sweeps, quick pitches, options, counter plays, jet sweeps every part of the field was covered, and that's before you get into just straight pass pro uh, out of it. So they strain the field. The idea is make the defense account for the entire area across the line of scrimmage and get people to start running and anticipating where the football is going, and then they, they'll they run out of position. You can pop a counter on them, and they'll take themselves out of the place. You go back and watch the Ole Miss game. You don't see the Memphis offensive line whipping, you know, Robert and Condice on the line of scrimmage. You see the Ole Miss players literally running themselves away from the football and the ball going where they're not. And that's kind of the beauty of the offense. In order to make it go, though, every single one of those plays has to be established. You can't just give up on the interior running game because then the defense is going to key to the outside and you just don't have the numbers to block effectively on some of those jet sweeps and counters. So it all works in in unison. Um, The key to it, especially at Memphis, where Fuente didn't have the most mobile offensive linemen, was the H-back. When you watched the ball snap and the quarterback create a mesh point with the running back, you could look at the running back's path. If the running back was going towards where the H-back was going, whether they were pulling, whether they were stooping, uh, whether they were uh, reach blocking to the outside, you knew the running back had the ball and that's where the ball was going. If the running back was running away from the H-back, so let's just say the H-back is to the right-hand side and releases out to the right, and you see the running back going to the left, it was play action on film. I watched eight games in detail. It was play action 100% of the time. But that H-back has to be a, an incredibly effective blocker. Uh, he's expected to block big on big. It's not necessarily just blocking linebackers and safeties. Uh, the H-back, at least in Memphis's offense, was their number one primary short-yardage possession receiver. Um, and occasionally, he was utilized on a couple of different gadget plays, including one against Ole Miss that would have gone for a touchdown on a revert, a double reverse pass where he was able to sneak behind the linebackers. And unfortunately, one of the Memphis linemen ran about, I don't know, 20 yards downfield on the play. Uh, so I, I really think that the uh, offense is going to be run heavy in the sense that you're going to see runs in every direction. They're going to come from the same formation. They're not going to be able to look in the backfield and go, oh, this is going to be Trayvon McMillan on a jet sweep to the right side, which we saw plenty of with Scott Luffler <laughs> yes. last year. Uh, you're, you're not going to know where the ball is going. That puts pressure on the defense. And accordingly, the screen game is part of that because they will throw, you know, I believe, against Temple in the first two series. I think they ran seven screens in the first two series against Temple. So they're going to screen the ball a lot, which is just an extension of the running game. It's you know, today's version of a toss sweep. And then every now and then they're going to try to pop play action and get a big play over the top. Um, In terms of the passing game, the big difference is, one, you don't have an NFL caliber guy throwing the ball, but you have much, much, much more talented skill position players that can beat guys deep. And we're beating guys deep last year without a really tremendous running game. And, man, if, if Gerard Evans can be accurate, there could be big plays all over the field. And you watch the VT Snapchat, the receivers are getting deep a lot in practice.
0: Yeah, and I like what you said about that without the running game we really had that we could have this year, we were still able to do it. And one thing about Gerard Evans, that's going to be greatly increased over Michael Brewer um, in terms of his running. And I was definitely including that read option as part of the running game and sweeps and all the rest. Uh, but design QB runs. And one thing you said a while back, I think, in one of your articles, is that Gerard Evans is superior at finding the mesh point and knowing when to leave the ball in or take the ball out, you know, of the running back or that sweeping wide receiver or whatever it may be.
2: That's something that's been a weakness at Virginia Tech for so long. God bless Logan Thomas, great player, got so much joy out of watching him play. But when he ran inverted beer – you could have you could probably three counts before he tucked the football, you would know either he was keeping or he was handing it off. There was no read to it. In Fuente's offense, the mechanics are so critical that they'll run a lot of stuff that's direct run plays that look like read options, but they're not truly optioning everybody anyone. They're not um option by definition is leaving one guy unblocked and then reading him they're going to have plays where everything in the backfield looks like they're running a read option. And the reality is they're counting for everybody play side and it's a straight run all the way. But the mechanics are the same every time that they can change it up. One play they can option guy, one guy one, the next play he's going to expect not to be blocked because the exact same motion is coming at him. Everything looks the same in the backfield and boom, you crack down on him with a with the H back from his blind side and he never knows it's coming next time. He's going to expect that H-back to come and crack him from the blind side, and then he's hesitant, and the H-back goes and blocks somebody else, and you get a jet sweep uh, on an inverted beer look around the outside, and he's sitting there frozen, not knowing where to go. You don't even have to block him. That's the beauty of the offense. So those mechanics from the quarterback position are so important, and and I think that that had a a really, really big impact on why Gerard Evans rather than Brendan Motley or – Joshua Jackson ended up being the
1: starting quarterback. Well, how much how about one more question on that point, Jonathan? Rogers over McMillan at starting running back, how much do you think it may have been his hands and his ability to catch uh, that influenced him getting that look, at least in the Liberty game as starting running back on the depth chart? We'll see what ends up happening on the field versus it could be any other number of things. McMillan not having you know, a great fall and spring, ups and downs that Fuente mentioned multiple times. He was positive on him one day and negative on him the next day. How much do you think Roger's hands and the ability to catch the ball in the backfield and make plays influence that?
2: As a tailback, uh, again, not having the, the ability to be inside of the practice or the film room. Uh, as a tailback, I don't know that it made a whole lot of difference. Um, Memphis's offense was effective in using the traditional screens with the running back, but you didn't see a whole lot of stuff where the back was going out for, uh, for pass routes from a set tailback position. Um, and as far as I know, uh, and feel free to have someone from the coaching staff correct me, but they haven't discussed it in press conferences, Rodgers has not done any work with the H-back tight end group. He's been a tailback and working at the tailback spot in every film clip I've seen. Again, that's a limited view. So I don't know if it's just as simple as he's a more effective receiver. Um, One of the things that Fuente will do, he will keep two tailbacks on the field at the same time. And the formation I referenced earlier where he has – one of his traditional tailbacks aligned next to Paxton Lynch, but he'll put a second tailback in the slot who's more adept at the you know, type of a jet sweep. And that gives you a lot of flexibility. You can run, you know, you can jet sweep that guy across if he's a threat, but you can just hand it to your normal tailback on a dive play or a counter play. Um, so, so I think you're going to see a lot of stuff where McMillan uh, and Sam Rogers will be on the field. From that formation, they can also use that tailback as an extra lead blocker on a jet sweep around the edge. And Rodgers is, of course, a better blocker than perhaps, let's say if you had Trayvon McMillan at the tailback slot and Deshaun McLeese in the slot. You probably would prefer Rodgers to be in that spot as a lead blocker. So he expects expects a lot of flexibility from the position. Again, tailback in Memphis's offense was not a – big play type of position. It was someone where they would plug a guy in like, uh, I'm forgetting Dorsius's first name, but Dorseus or uh, Jamari Cooper, I believe, was the backup, was more of, a six, more of a bowling ball type guy, and they would depend on him to be able to get three and a half to five yards to carry on those inside zones, but those guys had to be really good lead blockers on the sweep, really good blockers on uh, play-action passing, and, and I really think you know, I think I've come to the conclusion, I really think if it's not a personal issue with McMillan or it's not a, or it's not a performance issue where Rodgers is just better in practice, it may just be the fact that Rodgers is probably a more adept blocker and they can use McMillan in different ways while rotating him in as a tailback, but using uh, Rodgers in most situations because of his blocking prowess.
0: Yeah, and I would also expect to see Rodgers and Peoples on the field at the same time a fair amount as well. I think with Rodgers when it comes to tailback, I've always found his running style good for getting upfield. He kind of has like a a plotting side-to-side style and then he'll like dive at the end and get some extra yards. Uh, it's it's obviously not a home run hitter kind of thing. Of course, he did have that long play against Ohio State last year and that was just a great play design, but I've I've liked Rodgers' style as a running back and I've seen him miss a fair amount of blocks when trying to pick up a linebacker, this and that. So, um, you know, him as a running back, I kind of feel like that's a great role for him. And the fact that he's a senior, uh, the stuff you mentioned with perhaps being able to pick up a block better than McMillan and sealing an edge for you, I don't find it completely surprising that he's not really filling that H-back role when you have a good blocker in Steven Peoples. But I was kind of expecting Peoples to pop up somewhere on this depth chart, or at least get more of a mention from Fuente. But he got that a while back, I guess.
2: Well, with Peoples, and so, so first of all, and one other thing with Rodgers, real quickly before I move on to Peoples with Rodgers, too, he's emblematic of the culture that Fuente is trying to establish. So don't overlook the importance. Again, the way Fuente rotates running backs. Uh, I think you're going to see McMillan. I think you're going to see McLeese. I think you're going to see Rodgers on most plays. You're going to see guys getting rotated in and out at the wide receiver spot. This is going to be a very different breed of Virginia Tech football than what we're accustomed to. And, again, if you're not going all out, that's one thing about Memphis. Forget about the team for a moment. Those kids played hard. They had walk-ons at their best receiver spot. The H-back was a walk-on a quarterback who nobody really recruited and and those kids went toe to toe with SEC teams and you know gave them the business. and they 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 beat and beat handily the only team to beat Alabama all year yep so these kids are going to play hard and and Stephen Peoples is another example he's a great blocker he's a guy who's mobile so he can block in space um The issue with Peoples in terms of being the H-back and being an every-down H-back is that at Memphis, Allen Cross was counted upon to be a good possession receiver. And I don't think any of us have seen one way or the other how Peoples factors into the passing game. And that's why I wasn't particularly surprised when I saw Chris Cunningham listed as the top guy on the depth chart because from a receiver perspective, he's a guy who – uh, was a very natural, fluid route runner coming out of high school. He has a, a bigger frame than people, so you know, if he can get into the right area and be effective as a blocker, he doesn't have to be dominant, but he can, has to be effective. He's a guy who again gives a little more flexibility. Where if you see Peoples in the game as an H back, until we see otherwise, I, I would say you know that's a red flag that he's in there for blocking purposes. Only and would be pretty limited in the
0: passing game. Yeah, that's some good insight on that aspect. I know Peoples can run the football. He had many, many, many yards in high school as a runner, um, but I don't know anything about him catching the football. But you know, running and blocking is his thing. So that's that's a good insight on, on the fact of why yeah. he might not be. And able I can't to
2: imagine that the H back is going to be getting carries in this offense. I haven't seen any sort of inside reverses, although. You know, people would give them the flexibility to do that coming from an old wing-T offense in high school. I have a certain appreciation for the the wing-back inside reverse. That was a staple of our offense.
0: (laughs) Let's talk about something we know a little bit more about, and that's Bud Foster and his defense. And you just released the thing today about Mahota and how he's going to be the starter opposite Akanem and what that does for the Virginia Tech defense Uh, in terms of, especially a pass rush, it seems that it's going to give us a big advantage. Um, and that's going to link up with our DBs and how they might end up playing. But in terms of Mahota, is it, am I right in suspecting that, especially against the pass, we could be stronger than we were last year?
2: Well, again, it depends a little bit on what Bud's approach is for designing a pass rush. Last year he was so heavily dependent on edge speed pressure coming off the edge, whether it was you know Dion Clark on a blitz from the bear package, or it was Daddy Nicholas or Kenneth Canham winning a one on one battle to get into the backfield, and when you use edge speed and you don't have sort of a change up to it, what that ends up doing is it creates a tremendous amount of space between the defensive tackles who are kind of plodding in there and driving the guards backwards and those defensive ends who are getting upfield. If the offensive tackles can stay with them and drive those guys upfield a little bit, it creates huge lanes for quarterbacks. And, and unfortunately, when you combine that with uh, defensive backs and linebackers who are turning their back to the quarterback and running to play man coverage, uh, it just kills you against a running quarterback if they can escape the pocket. Vinny um, Mahota, you know, one, he improves the defense tremendously in the run game because he's a gap-sound guy who's going to fit into his gap. And just to stop for a moment and say, what, is that? what do I mean by fitting into a gap? The way Virginia Tech plays defense is they have a certain number of their interior players who are responsible for each shooting into a gap, whether it's a slant, whether it's a stunt, or whether it's going straight ahead. They have a gap responsibility. Once they get in that gap, though, they have to maintain their position and then beat their block and go play football. What we saw happening last year with Daddy, with Luther Maddie, a lot of the time, is they would slant and shoot into the gap. Corey Marshall, um, with Marshall's case, mostly because he was a smaller guy, they would shoot into the gap and then get pushed upfield and taken out of the play. And then you had too much space for a guy who's limited at the Mike Linebacker spot like uh, Andrew Motuapuaka or Chuck Clark, who was very uncomfortable playing as a deep safety. He was great around the line of scrimmage, but coming from a deep safety spot, coming up and making tackles, he really struggled early in the year. And you just put those guys in bad positions with those with those defensive linemen running upfield. Mahode is a guy who's going to fit in that gap, and when he played a lot at the end of the year against UBA and Tulsa, he would win a lot of those physical battles, or at the very least, if he shot into his gap and the ball was going another way, he'd actually make the effort to cross the blocker's face and get back into play, and it made a difference. As I pointed out in my articles today, um, UVA and uh, Tulsa did not score a point when Vinnie Mahota and Nigel Williams were in for uh, Luther Maddie and Daddy Nicholas last year on the same side of the defense. Uh, in both of those games. If they were both in, they didn't score. I think Tulsa scored one field goal and one touchdown when Mahota was in by himself. So they made a difference. Um, from a pass per, uh, pass rush perspective, um, Mahota may not be as flashy as Daddy Nicholas, but he can collapse the pocket. And Bud Foster, who has expressed him and Charlie Wiles have expressed concern with Mahota's speed, have found some ways to mitigate that speed. Um, one, they use him a lot on twist stunts. Uh, twist stunt is where the defensive tackle will sort of shoot slant hard to the outside and become the contain guy, and then the defense then will loop behind them and use the defensive tackle as a pick and often get a little bit of leverage on the guard and shoot right up in the quarterback's face. Uh, by doing that, you take away the time for the you know quarterbacks. are always going to be much uh much more elusive when they're getting pressure from their outside. When they're getting it right up the middle, it, they can't see the contained guys, so they don't know if they have a running lane or not. So generally it messes them up. And when Virginia Tech's been good against running quarterbacks like Denard Robinson, they kind of keep him pinned in and get a lot of pressure through those interior gaps. Yeah, Mahomes and that's what, great I, at it.
0: that's what I was just thinking. I didn't mean to cut you off there, French, but that's what I was just thinking. If you're saying that he's going to help collapse the pocket, he's going to help fill the gaps better – that sounds uh-huh. like it's going to allow Bud Foster to do traditionally what he likes to do with his defensive backs, which is kind of play a little bit more man coverage and less zone. You had written an article about Bud might be playing a little bit more zone to get more eyes on the QB because of this running quarterback issue we've had, or at least partially because of it. How does Mahota's collapsing in the pocket and, and just the starters across the D-line being bigger and maybe better at filling their gaps – Affect what our DBs are going to do, and and also what our linebackers are going to do.
2: Well, from a linebacker perspective, again, you've got those big defensive linemen who keep their feet moving. Those defensive linemen can stunt and and almost essentially set picks. So, in terms of blitzing your linebackers, uh, you're essentially using a guy like Vinnie Mahota to create a lane for one of those linebackers to come through. If you don't feel like putting them back into coverage, as far as in the secondary. You know, Bud's talked a lot this season about the zone and using more zone coverage and keeping eyes on the football. That'll help against mobile quarterbacks and that, you know, they're guys who know when he's the quarterback's cross-line of scrimmage and has run out. Uh, but at the same time, I'm a little – I spent a lot of time writing about the zone. And, uh, you know, 2005, 2006 when the defenses were really good, 2004, they did play a lot of traditional umbrella zones to go with some of the traditional press man and robber coverage, as we've seen. But Ryan Mitchell, uh, who was just you know hired this past offseason to be the corners coach, at West Virginia, his defensive backs, his corners play true press man coverage. Uh, you watch the Baylor game, Baylor and West Virginia. Those guys were in man coverage the whole game. And when you see a lot of the drill work in practice, you see Virginia Tech's corners and safeties up on the line of scrimmage playing press coverage against the wide receivers in those seven-on-seven seven and skeleton drills. And part of me wonders if when Tennessee comes out, uh, do we see a, a defensive look similar, You know, maybe not necessarily bare front, but eight men, nine men in the box, and pressed all over the field against Tennessee where, Tennessee's
0: a run-first
2: team that doesn't have a great pass. I, right. I, right. I think you're right. Yeah, I think there's a little chicanery going on with that.
0: I Yeah, I just read this article about Josh Dobbs and his passing, and, and we won't go too far into Tennessee, but it basically, to me, sounded like we should play them exactly like we played Ohio State two years ago um, and just you know force Dobbs to beat us through the air because some of his percentages later in games and – down the field are just absolutely atrocious when it comes to passing the football?
2: I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Tennessee, uh, Josh Malone's a pretty decent receiver, but they're not great at the receiver position. And at offensive tackle, they're going to be starting a redshirt freshman on one side and their starter on the other side. Kid from Roanoke named Chance Hall is hurt and likely is going to miss the game. So they've got a a guard moving outside so they're you know in terms of getting pressure on the quarterback if you can keep Dobbs contained he's not nearly as much of a threat in the downfield passing game you really want a game plan that keeps him hemmed in the way they hemmed in uh, JT Barrett back in 2014 I think that's a key to the win Uh, because Tennessee's running game you know those two running backs uh, Jalen Hurd I think he's much better than uh, much better than Ezekiel Elliott was. I know some Cowboys fans won't be thrilled to hear that, but Jalen Hurds a stud and Alvin Kamara is a burner. They're really, really good at the running back spot.
0: They certainly are. Uh, I, I guess I want to take a big picture uh, approach to both of these sides of the ball before we we let you go here. And and in terms of the defense, the linebackers have been a question mark. Uh, we've got you know the most talented tr- Tremaine Edmonds could be all everything at at backer, if he can live up to his athleticism and and kind of the hype that we've been putting on him and others have been putting on him. Can we expect improvement from Andrew Puaka, especially with the help he's going to be getting from this defensive line? And do you think this defense will make a significant jump in terms of just yards per game, uh, the S&P numbers, advanced stats, in terms of like what they can do defensively overall?
2: Well, so so a lot thro- thrown in there. I-, I think that the linebackers will be better protected this year. I, I think that the amount of space, if you are a Andrew Motul blocker, Tremaine Edw- Edmonds, and you're one-on-one with the running back in the hole, that hole's going to be smaller this year. And in the case of Edmonds, uh, again, we have limited film. He looked good in the spring, but, of course, they didn't put that on tape. Uh, but going back to the bowl game, he was much more comfortable lined up out on the edge in the bare front. And there's a uh, 46 look standing on the edge of the line of scrimmage, forcing things back to the inside. And that means he's only a playmaker on half, half the field. So I, I don't know what to expect from Tremaine Edmonds in the traditional alignment. And what we see in practice is a lot of 40 fronts. So I expect Edmonds to be more in the traditional backer alignment rather than up on the line of scrimmage at least against Liberty from Motuapuaqa's perspective. Yeah. I, well, I think you'll be better. Yes, you're going to be better. You're going to be more instinctive, the more time you spend on the field, but there are certain habits that he has, which are, you know, things you can work on in practice, but they are instinctual in terms of what your body does to react to contact that I've been very troubled with when evaluating him. Um, If you go back and you watch a Vince Hall or you watch a Bruce Taylor or you watch Jack Tyler or, going back even farther, Jamal Smith, who is one of my all-time favorite players at Virginia Tech, and George Del Rico, those are guys who, at contact, ran through blocks. They weren't always the biggest guys. They didn't always win the battles. But when they moved and they fit in their gaps or they had an opportunity to get out in space and make a play, if a guy got near him, they did not stop and hesitate to absorb the block, to brace themselves. Motua if you watch him in games where he's getting engaged, he jams his feet into the ground to fight that block, and in doing so, it makes him much, much more limited as a tackler. It creates space for the running back. It makes it harder for him to make a play. That's, that's just an instinctual thing. Some guys have it. Some guys don't. You go back and you watch high school film of guys. When they get touched, do they freeze up to, you know, which is natural human instinct, I'm about to get hit, I'm going to brace myself for the blow, or do they run through it? And, you know, I've seen it now for two years with Motua Apuaka. I think he's pretty he's pretty good when he's playing deep and he has a chance to run sideline to sideline without bodies on him. But he gets a body on him. You know, he just freezes, and that that has to improve. And, again, there's not really an option behind him. So sink or swim with him. Um, I got you, man. We'll see. All right, we'll so see. do
0: you think the defense – do you think we'll be better than we were last year? Simpl- I simple think, question.
2: Um, again, if Kendall Fuller was back on the team, I'd say inequivoc- inequivocally, yes. He would have changed – the entire picture in the secondary as a guy who could shut down one side of the field playing press coverage. Um, So much will depend on philosophy and a lot will depend on the offense. To be perfectly honest with you, I think the offense can do a lot to protect, you know, Fuente's offense is ball control oriented. They may tuck the ball around. They may move the ball all over the place, but they have long drives sort of like Georgia tech does to keep the defense off the field and the defense has to do just enough to win. that was his philosophy at Memphis. Um, I don't know if Bud's going to change his approach and play more like he did in 2010, where the defense wasn't particularly good, but they were able to sit back and kind of wait on ACC opponents to implode uh, like they did that season, throw a bunch of turnovers. And I don't know that they have the playmakers in the secondary to take advantage of it, but, if the offense is going to be good, that approach, I think, would lead to more Ws. Um, I think we're going to be better against the run game. I think the defensive line is going to be substantially better uh, on run defense. Uh, so the question will be, can the secondary minimize big plays, and can the linebackers tackle in space and support properly in the running game? If, if the answers are yes, I think that they can be much better. But, again, there's everything's been so secretive. It's hard to tell.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right I'll, about
2: that. I'll add that. this: if, Brad, if Brandon Faison is not 100, if Brandon Faceon isn't the player he was his freshman year, that puts a much more darker, uh, darker look on the season. I, I think he's the first domino that has to be good.
0: I hear you, French. Well, we really, really appreciate you coming on, man. That was a lot of great info, and uh, I encourage everyone, if they don't already do it, to read French's work on the key play. Uh, it's outstanding. It always makes me feel smarter, even though I, I, I definitely am not. Um, thanks again, French, for coming on, man, and I'm sure I'll see you at some point this season.
2: Thank you guys for having me. Go Appreciate it.
0: Take care. I kind of I took over that interview, Robbie. I was interested to hear um, if you had any thoughts on what French had to say
1: there's always a ton of thoughts after French I know right? Gives that much information I think it's interesting he has so much insight into the team he watches so much film that none of us are watching that much on teams opponents what Memphis did it's insight that you really can't get any anywhere else in my mind other than going back and, and doing it yourself and even if you did you don't have the, the knowledge that French does uh, about the team the schemes, what they're going to be doing I thought his comments on the secondary were spot on. It really begins and ends with Faison and, and what he can do this year and if he can stay healthy. I think he can still be as good as he was that freshman year. The question is whether or not he can keep himself healthy. He's had a couple unfortunate injuries. I thought the interior, you know, defensive line comments, a lot of the details on how they might, you know, play Mahota and how, you know, things might play out on that side of the ball are very interesting. Overall, I thought it was really, really insightful. Also makes me scared of the season every time I hear French talk about the team because he knows so much. And he knows everything that could go right and everything that could go wrong that you kind of walk away thinking, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen this year?
0: Yeah, I, I feel the same way. And it's because both you and I are a little bit of a homer. We're optimists, whatever you want to call it. And we we kind of like to think more on, like, the hard numbers. Like, oh, Tech's going to – you know, the over under 34 points this year. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think they're going to get 400 yards a game? Do you think we're going to be a top 25 defense? And when you ask French those types of questions – uh, you know, he's like, well, if Brandon Faison is 100, percent and if you know Mahota's adjustment to the defensive line, and it's and it just makes you nervous because you realize how many ifs there are. Um, There's quite a plenty of ifs, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's he sounded much more optimistic about the offense than the defense. Not that that should necessarily be a surprise based on our our head coach, but with how long it took us to name a starting QB with the being a new system and with so many young guys we had to play last year on defense, I was expecting the opposite. And and to me, after hearing French, it's like, I'm
1: a little nervous about the defense now. I felt good about it until our conversation. <laughs> but anyway. we got We have a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball that gives us a lot of flexibility. And the holes are much smaller and much less critical. And we're we're coming off of so many years of offense that really hasn't lived up to expectation or even if there was an expectation hasn't lived up to what we were used to as Virginia tech fans. Whereas you're coming off of a down year on the defense. So seeing improvement is a little bit more difficult in that, in that aspect.
0: Yeah, man, I think what we should do is probably have a drink. So Robbie, tell me what you're drinking over there.
1: I am having the total domination i p a which I know is a surprise to everybody that I went with another i p a but I had to make quick picks at the store six and a six point seven percent alcohol. It's from Ninkasi Brewing Company out of Eugene, which going cross country right here in honor of football season. I don't know if I've had too many beers out of that uh neck of the woods. I I like it. It's good. Not nearly as good as the Clown Shoes that I just had, but I like it. I would recommend it uh, if you're stuck at a bar and you have to get something, but not nearly as good as the beer that I had, the Galactica, just before it. I'm having the Deschutes
0: Hop Slice Session IPA, another Oregon beer. So I don't know. We don't ever really talk about the beers we're going to drink before we, we hop on these days, but... Um, uh, we both know Deschutes, uh, you all shouldn't too. I mean, it's, they make a lot of great beers. Uh, the fresh squeezed is one of my personal favorites, but this hop slice session IPA, easy for me to say is really good. Uh, it says it's, you know, brewed with Meyer lemon and there's definitely a citrusy flavor. And I'm not usually a session IPA guy. Cause if I'm drinking an IPA and it's going to taste like an IPA, I wanted to have the punch of an IPA and session beers are you know this one's four and a half percent alcohol. A lot of them are, you know, not over five, but I'll make an exception for this one. It's it's really really tasty. The Shoots Hop Slice Session IPA. Let's jump into Liberty. We're going to do this fast because no one cares about their players. <laughs> they just want <laughs> us to kick their butt. But Liberty was six and five last year, a three and three record in the Big South, and this is their first meeting against VT, which I kind of find surprising considering, you know are not too far away. Their coach is Turner Gill. You might remember that name. He brought the Buffalo program to prominence in the MAC. Then he went to Kansas and kind of flamed out early. Um, only two years there. He 3-9, uh, 2-10. And, and, and this is actually his fifth year at Liberty. And that's kind of shocking. I remember when Charles Barkley was pissed that Auburn didn't hire him instead of Gene Chisick. That's how long ago that was when he got the Kansas job. But... uh <laughs> Liberty is has new starters at QB running back and a new offensive coordinator and only has six returning starters on the offensive side of the ball. On the defense, they've got key players at, both, at the D-line, the cornerback, and the linebackers, and they have seven returning starters. So I fully expect their defense to be a little bit better than their offense and I want to throw the players a little bit more. Uh, that's definitely the impression that I got. Uh, am I off on that, Robbie?
1: No, I think you have it right. Jumping into the details of it, I think the junior, it sounds like, Stefan Masha is going to start at QB. He played a bunch of games last year, but primarily in running duties, which, to our conversation just with French, can be a little bit frightening. And no matter whether it's FCS, FBS, or any other running quarterback, can always be a little bit frightening. He's definitely a dual threat. He a little bit of trouble for us. Their offensive line is kind of a wreck right now. They have three starters back from last season. but Finished off that group, they have another pair of freshmen. The presumed left guard, Michael Henderman, is not practicing, so their other left guard got the nod at that position. A wide receiver, B.J. Farrow, is the really only big name that kind of popped up when I looked into it. He had 32 receptions last year almost 450 yards he's a bigger guy uh, and they also have a big slot receiver and jack parker and they lost a lot at running back both their running backs are gone this year so overall they're replacing a decent amount on that side of the ball
0: yeah their their o-line depth is razor thin they're replacing a couple guys uh as as for the starters and And some of the other starters have been nicked up, so their offensive line is is definitely not a veteran group. And basically what it sounds like is this is a team that won their conference in 2012, 2013, and 2014. They beat JMU in the FCF playoffs in 2014. Last year they took a step back, and this year you know, they lost their all-time leader in passing yards in their quarterback. They lost their best kicker of all time. They lost their best receiver of all time. Uh, it, it's just it's going to be tough for them offensively. Defensively, they lost the 2015 defensive uh, player of the year in the Big South, uh, so their defensive line is definitely going to take a, a step back as well. Their DBs were all young last year; that'll be a strong unit for them. Nick Newman, their linebacker, was the leader in tackles, and he's back. Uh, so there's some good pieces on defense. I think they're going to be a little weaker across you know that front seven. So I think this is a game where Tech should run the football. Um, The last thing I'll say about Liberty is they've got a good punter, he's all-conference, and they have a new kicker. So when I hear new kicker and an FCS team, this is my expectation for the defense coming into Tech. We should absolutely be striving for a shutout because, one, we should not be letting them into our end zone, and if they've got a new kicker, they should miss any kick, that they attempt or we should block it. Uh, that's I expect to dominate. Aggressive. Yeah, I'm I'm just saying this, I expect to dominate on the defensive side of the ball. If if that should at least be the absolute objective is to shut them out. If I'm Bud Foster, I'm telling let's shut these guys out. They should not score a point. Um I definitely think they're getting less than 10 and I would like to see our linebackers and DBs play actually as long as possible, um, if only to get a little bit more playing time for, because you know some of them are really green and they and they could use it and just had to line up and all that kind of stuff. So that's my expectations for the defense. It, am I am I right on with that?
1: I'll summarize my thoughts on the defense. The one person that scares me and one person isn't going to do much for them is Jeron Green, their defensive tackle. He's 6'2, 310 pounds, extremely athletic. Many of the beat writers that, or I, they don't have many beat writers, the beat writers that do cover <laughs> Liberty, I should say, is probably a better way to characterize it. I think he has NFL level talent. The coaches have said the same, had 36 tackles, two sacks last year. That that's really it on the defensive side of the ball. Jawan Wells could put some pressure. He had five sacks last year. Overall, their defense doesn't scare uh, scare me too much. The keys to the game. The the one thing I would keep in in mind is they've wa- they've knocked off an FBS opponent each of the last three seasons. We don't want to be another one of those.
0: That's for sure. I don't.
1: Yeah, not very reassuring. I don't have a ton of concern about this game. I will be interested in it because I watch every game, but even more so to see how early people start getting pulled out if we do get a lead, to your point. Is Fuente going to use this as a way to get people experience on the field, get them comfortable, given how big that Tennessee game is the next week? Or is he going to try and keep people and make sure that they're healthy and fresh for a week later? That will be interesting to me, if nothing else, assuming that we can come out, take a lead, shut down their offense the way that we expect we should.
0: Yeah. I, I summarize my expectations for the VT offense like this, keep it on the ground, 200 to 250 yards rushing, get a lead. Obviously I'm hoping for at least 21 points and then, and then play your backups because it's, it's a different animal than defense to me. Um, you can show things on offense and show tendencies that that Tennessee could use against us. I'm not I'm not saying that they're going to take anything we do in one game and make a game plan out of it. But defensively, I think it's more valuable to play your guys longer. I think because you can't hit as much in camp and you're not trying to you know, hurt your own guys, that a lot of times offenses can be ahead of defenses, especially early in the year. So that's why... I, I, I kind of want our linebackers and DBs because we have a vet vet guys across the line kind of. Um, I'd play, agree with that point.
1: I would also say that I would be very surprised if what we see against Liberty looks anything like what we see against Tennessee. You have a veteran defensive coordinator that's been doing this for a long, long time, has plenty of schemes that he can throw out on the field with... Adequate, I would say, skill talent and still make it work. And on the offense, you have an offensive, you know, quote unquote mastermind that is extremely successful at what he does on the field and can show a lot of different looks, just like what French was just talking about. So I'd be surprised if we come out showing anything that we're going to see or much of what we're going to show against, against um, uh, Tennessee in the next week
0: okay well I think we pretty much handled the expectations um, I just want to see us run the ball like tech used to that that's that's really what is what I want to see I don't I don't know if I'm ever going to get that from Fuente because just the style he runs but just rushing yard numbers being up will make me so happy uh, in terms of times of possession and what it does for your defense, kind of like French was saying earlier, it's just huge to me, and I think we have the offensive line and the playmakers to do it this year. Let's pick the game. I had a really difficult time finding a line for this game. Sometimes the the lines for these FCS, FBF matchups come out a little bit later. Uh, I did see 27 and 28 and two different websites. Um I don't know. That seems about right. I suppose. Let's let's call it twenty seven and a half. What, what do you got?
1: Uh, w-
0: w- tech is tech a twenty seven and, and a half favorite. No, right? no. I'm thinking how many points <laughs> that would be,
1: and what we would do with our starters is where I'm going with this. I'm going to go VT over. I'd anticipated to be, I don't know, a seven. seven is probably seven to 10 is the max I would see Liberty putting out there in points. And that's if we don't have a great day. So I think we can cover that.
0: Yeah. I'm going to go with the cover as well. If it's 27 and a half, I'm going to go with the cover. Um, Even at 28, I might still do it. I I don't know why I'm so supremely confident. This is probably going to blow up in my face, but I just think, it might be slow going. It might be very much like the Furman game last year where I definitely was just kind of pissed at halftime in that game. I think it might've been 14 to three. I'm not exactly sure, but I remember it not going the way I wanted it to go. And lo and behold, I, we won by quite a significant margin. I think it was 45, to three. Uh, I think it's going to be something similar. It could be a little slow to begin with. And then we, you know, we we knock them out in the second half and and cover you know that twenty seven and a half points. But I'm not going to be putting any money on it anyway. But uh, I do think that we will cover twenty seven and a half. Let's move on to some other picks because there are so many great games this weekend and this early in the season. We're not just going to pick ACC games because there's so many poor games against other FCS teams like ours. So we're going to pick uh, until ACC play really picks up. We're going to pick the top twenty five games that are most intriguing. And we'll start at 12 p.m. on Saturday, Energy Stadium in Houston, Oklahoma at Houston. Oklahoma's number three, Houston's number 15, and Oklahoma is a 11-point favorite. Robbie, what's your pick?
1: I'm going with Houston. I think that's a big spread for Tom Herman and what he can do. It's closer to Houston. I think they could get a decent crowd there. I think they're going to be really good this year. They were good last year but I think this is the year that they really turn things on. Oklahoma people are obviously still high on, especially after last year, seeing what happened against uh, Clemson really did them in for me. I'm going, I'm going Houston on this. I am to cover also,
0: the 11. I'm also going to go Houston. I, I think if anything, it's a 10 point game. And honestly, if, if I, I might take Houston on the money line in this, in this game, I, I, I like the fact that it's in Houston. I I like the Houston team, and I think Oklahoma's a little overrated. Next game is UCLA at Texas A&M in Kyle Field, 3.30 p.m. on Saturday. Texas A&M is a a three-and-a-half-point favorite, and UCLA is ranked number 16 with their returning sophomore QB, Josh Rosen.
1: Who do you got? I have Vegas, but no, I'm picking against Vegas for some reason. Somebody knows something here that I obviously don't. Maybe it's maybe it's the home field advantage. Texas A&M's wide receivers are ridiculous. They are so good. The question comes down to the QB with Trevor Knight, who's the Oklahoma transfer that came in. There have been disasters there at the QB position with all the transfers in and out of that program. I'm going with the known quantity. People have been talking about Josh Josh Rosen since he was – a sophomore in high school, he had a pretty good campaign last year, and with another year under his belt, I feel like he's going to have more confidence going into this season. And I don't think Soldier Field is really going to, you know, scare him too much. Uh,
0: this is interesting because uh, you know Aaron Moorhead. Did he ever get fired for those comments he made down at Texas A&M? But he is the coach of the wide receivers down there and they are a Supreme group. And he, he definitely seemed to do some nice work with our wide receivers as well, but I'm going to take Texas A&M in this one. Um, even though they're favored over UCLA and they're not ranked, I just, I don't trust UCLA in big games. I'm not saying Texas A&M is any, any, uh great shakes themselves, but I'm going to take them with that three and a half to, to cover. um, To correct myself, I said Soldier Field repeating you. It's Kyle Field. Kyle Field, yes, yes. Um, 3.30 p.m. also, LSU at Wisconsin. But the game is in Lambeau at the Packers field. That should be really, really cool. That's going to be awesome. Should be a sight to see. LSU is number five. They're extremely talented. They are 10-point favorites over Wisconsin. And I'll go first this time. I like LSU. I also like LSU –
1: I don't know why, because I don't particularly like them as a team, mostly because Les Miles, Brandon Harris, at QB, hasn't really been let off his leash. They've kind of kept him contained, which why wouldn't you when you have Leonard Fournette and you have a run game that is that dominant? He's in a Heisman candidate. I think down to what they do with Brandon Harris in this game, especially this early on, Wisconsin – I don't have a lot of confidence in. I'm going LSU as well.
0: I almost would have more confidence in Wisconsin if they're playing in Camp Randall, even though Lambeau is going to be such a cool thing and it's such you know, a Wisconsin iconic stadium in, uh, in terms of the state. But uh, LSU is so talented this year, and they'll probably screw up at some point, but they typically don't screw up in these big opening games. Um, 5.30 p.m. on Saturday – Georgia against UNC in the Georgia Dome. Georgia's number 18, UNC is number 22, and Georgia is two-and-a-half-point favorites. I like the Tar Heels in this one,
1: and I have a feeling you do too. That's right. A lot of people are saying good things about Mitch Trubisky at UNC. I don't think they're going to take – They're going to take a a slight step back, especially early in the season. I don't think enough that they're going to give up this game. I know Georgia is ranked higher. In my mind, UNC should be ranked higher with what they're returning. Their, Their defense in particular should be amazing this year in comparison to what it was three years ago, and it was even better last year. So it's got to be UNC here, I would imagine. I was actually surprised... Georgia's the favorite in this game. I thought it would have been UNC, uh, so I was a little surprised.
0: Well, they're in the Georgia Dome, and I, I, I do think one way or another, we're going to learn a lot about Kirby Smart right off the bat here and, and how he gets his team, as being a first-time head coach, ready for a big game You know, in a neutral site. But the game is in the Georgia Dome, and that's going to be full of Bulldog fans. The next game is 8 p.m. in Jerry World. USC against Alabama. USC is number 20. New coach Todd Helton brings them down there. And Alabama's number one. Alabama's 11.5-point favorites. I'm going with the Tide to cover that spread, man. I I don't know how you can go against Alabama in an opening game like this.
1: I was pissed that USC put out those crybaby cry shirts because this was going to be my game to pick as – I knew it would be on the list for us, so it was going to be my sleeper game for USC. I'm still going to stick with USC to cover the 11 and a half. USC has so much talent, they have to put it together for one game sometime. They haven't done it <laughs> in so long, and they recruit probably equally as well. Not as well as Alabama, but pretty well up there. They have to be able to put something together at some point. And Alabama's breaking in a new QB, and they're breaking in new running backs. First game of the season. I'm sticking with it. I bet Jakey probably up until 30 seconds ago. You're going with USC? Yeah, to cover. All right, and that's, not certainly not to win. I mean, yeah. Well, they will be, be an on. will be an on- kick.
0: I obviously. just said you'd have to be crazy to take them. But hey, you know. This this will be interesting. I, I'm curious to see how that one shakes out just in a, in a me-versus-you sense. All right, 9 p.m., that same night, Clemson against Auburn. Uh, it's at Auburn, Jordan Hare. Number two, Clemson, is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm taking Clemson.
1: Also taking Clemson. All right, let's, let's, let's. We picked all the same stuff <laughs> except for that. Every time, every everybody, the off-season buzz on Auburn is when you expect them to be bad, they're good, and when you expect them to be true. good, they're bad. I don't buy that. I think it's just a matter of how the season plays out, and their quarter, same quarterback as last year. Let's all be honest; it didn't go very well. Let's see if if, if Malzahn can have the bounce back season.
0: Um, I'm sure the Tigers want. Uh, actually, those are both Tigers, but uh, <laughs> next game yeah. is Notre Dame against Texas the next day, Sunday, 9-4, uh, 7.30 p.m. Notre Dame is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. This is a game that Notre Dame crushed Texas in last year. Uh, this time, I believe it's in Austin. Um, regardless, I'm actually
1: going to go with Texas. I'm leaning that way as well only because of the split quarterback decision at Notre Dame. Some Some people think it has no impact on the quarterbacks. I think it does. You want your guys in there behind you, know that you're getting every snap of the ball, get a tempo, a rhythm in place, not swapping somebody else out. The whole two-quarterback system really threw me off of this whole thing. I'm going to go Texas as well. We'll probably both be embarrassed, and Notre Dame will win by twenty twenty-one. I'm going the same direction. And the last game, Monday night, Labor Day night, 8 p.m.,
0: Ole Miss against Florida State in the Citrus Bowl. Florida State is number four. Ole Miss is number 11. And Florida State is a four-point favorite. I really like the Knolls this year. I'm going to take them to cover that four points.
1: I don't understand this whole old- – Old Miss was on the radio. There was a, five fans I heard on the radio, I think, in the past week saying they really feel good about winning this game. I certainly wouldn't. There's a lot of people picking FSU over Clemson this year, given the amount of talent that they have. A lot of people think that the new quarterback is a stud. I'm going FSU as well. Boring picks from us both, but it is <laughs> it, it, it is week one. So. Yeah, you know, I I went with you know
0: a lot of the the favorites. I did go against Oklahoma. I guess that's just my dislike of the Big Twelve, right there. But um, we'll see. It we really don't know anything at this point. So I'm so excited to see how all the games go this weekend, <clears throat> particularly the Hokies versus Liberty, and finally getting a chance to see more than a Snapchat feed of, you know, one aspect of our team should be really fun. I don't think we have anything else. If you want to hit us up on Twitter, it's at 2 dvt Emails, if you want to, you know, send us an email, 2deepvt at gmail.com. And remember, if you did a review and you want a koozie, you have to send us an email with your address so we can send it to you. And it's at 2deepvt at gmail.com, like I just said. Again, write us an iTunes review. We will for the next mm, till Tennessee. If you write us an iTunes review, we will mail you a couple of koozies. You
1: extended it another week. We're going, uh, we're going one more week. Why not? Why not? All right, you get, you get. Next I'll week's take week two. Mailing. Yeah, <laughs> week two. Week two is mailing duties. All right, buddy.
0: Um, all right, everyone. Enjoy the first game. Let's hope the Hokies come out and dominate the way I think they will. And until we preview the battle at Bristol next week, go Hokies.